This week on Heads and Tails, we do a CrossFit workout at Gorilla Fitness in Morristown that'll leave you saying, good grief. This is Kevin Som, you're listening to the Heads and Tails podcast. We share stories of perseverance and inspiration in sports and in life. This week on Heads and Tails, we're interviewing Liam Mulcahy. He's a board member at Good Grief, and uh, they offer free bereavement services for adults and children. Um, so, Liam, can you just give us a background on yourself, like where you grew up, where you went to school, what you do for work, just to give us a little background on what, what you're all about? Sure, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on today. So, uh, I'm a Morristown, New Jersey native. I grew up here. Uh, I was actually adopted from New York City. My family grew up here in Morristown, went to high school here, ended up going to Rutgers. Um, so I ran track at Rutgers, ran track my whole life in uh, high school. Okay. Athlete. And then, yeah. Yeah. So I was a multi-sport athlete in middle school and high school, and then I kind of just got specialized when I was in college. Okay. So I did cross country and then track, uh, winter track and spring track. Um, what sports did you play before you got to college? In addition to track and <laughs> I guess running. it would be, I guess it would be what sports didn't I play? Um, I did basketball, I did lacrosse, I did football, I did soccer, and I had a strange athletic trajectory. So when I was in like fourth grade, I was a center, and then every year I would move down the line. So okay. like the next year I was a guard, and then I was a tackle, and then by the time I was in like eighth grade, freshman year in high school, I was a wide receiver. So damn, moving I, up with you because you're a runner. You're a runner. Yeah, exactly. And you, dude, I found out that I was good at running when I was at basketball practice. And I had just seen the movie, some, I think it was, Something About Mary, where they're in the gym, like, purposely shooting over the hoop. Right. So I was doing that, goofing around in practice. My coach was like, Mulcahy, laugh, <laughs> like, laughs. So I was like, all right, this is fine. And I kept doing it. And I was like, I'm not getting tired. Yeah, I I'm got, good at this. Yeah. I got in the car with my mom, and she was like, oh, you should do cross country in middle school. And I was like, skiing? Like, I didn't <laughs> yeah. know that they had that. But yeah, it just turns out that I was a really good runner. Um, so what uh, middle school did you go to? you go to Freelingheisen? Or? Yeah, I went to Freelingheisen. All right, mm-hmm. and then where'd you go to high school? Morristown High School. Okay, I didn't know if you were Morristown Beard like my girlfriend Lauren or not. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, cool. Uh, so how'd you get? How'd you start getting involved with uh, Good Grief as an organization? And can you just kind of give us a little brief synopsis of the mission and what you guys are all about and the services that you offer? Yeah, for sure. So I was back home in Morristown uh, visiting my folks over the holidays, and I ran into an acquaintance that runs End of Elm. Uh, okay. Shelly Haley, her and her husband own the restaurant. And she was telling me about this group she was volunteering with that was right down the street and it helped kids that were grieving. So kids that were kind of dealing with the process of death and how to kind of understand that and compartmentalize that. Right. She offered me a tour because our location in Marstown is like a nice big old home and each room's dedicated to a different part of the grieving process for kids. Interesting. And uh, right when I took the tour, I was hooked. So I said I'd volunteer any way that I could. And then <laughs> out of nowhere, she asked me if I wanted to be on the board. Uh, and I was like, uh, sure. Yeah, uh, I guess so. <laughs> All right, so um, I know on your uh, on the video on your website, there's a statistic that says that one in seven kids will have to deal with loss or the grieving process in mm-hmm. their life. Um, so can you kind of talk about, you know, how you guys approach uh, coping? And also, you said you have, you know, children and adults. Mm-hmm. So how, do you approach them differently or the same? Like, And then can you talk about the rooms in the, the house at the, the Good Grief home? Uh, just yeah. to kind of... Yeah, absolutely, man. So... The way that we kind of handle it, and to talk to the, talk about this statistic specifically, one in seven kids in the U.S. before the age of 20 will deal with either the loss of a sibling or their parent, which is a pretty unbelievable statistic. Yeah, I wouldn't think it would be that high, but... Yeah, I mean, when I first heard that, I thought about seven of my friends, 
and thought, I don't know anybody that this has happened to. But then when I really started to dig, dig into it, I did. Right. Um, and I started to rattle off like, oh, my friend lost his father when he was 10. She lost her sister when she was in high school. Um, so it's a lot more prevalent than you realize. But the thing is, our society doesn't really talk about death. You know, it happens. It's very abrupt. Right. And then you kind of put it away in a closet. And hope, no, that, yeah. hope that doesn't happen again. Right. But uh, <laughs> the difference about good grief is in terms of how we let people grieve, it's pretty open. Right. So we don't think that there's a right or wrong way to grieve, especially when it comes to children. Okay. Because it's such a heavy subject for them to deal with, especially if you're dealing with a kid that's under the age of 10. So what we do when they come in is they'll come in with their parents and it all starts off with a family dinner with everybody. Right. So kids are there. Parents are there. They can kind of parse themselves out how they like. Is it like a potluck or who, yeah. who's cooking this dinner? So uh, sometimes it depends. Um, the ones that I've heard of, we've always provided the food because okay. um, we do want to make it as free as possible. We right. don't want people to have to show up with any kind of obligations. Because right, you don't know what circumstance they're coming from. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And the people that show up really run the board. Okay. Um, some people are very affluent. Some people have really nothing, especially when you're dealing with the loss. If it's the loss of a family breadwinner, they could really be in the dire straits. Exactly. Yeah. Because now you're not only dealing with grieving, but you have that secondary loss of also income. Income. Yeah. Um, so Making start- things even harder. Yeah, exactly. So... We let them come in. Dinner is usually provided for free. And then we start off in a circle. Everybody introduces themselves and who they lost. And then we'll break it out where the adults have their own space and then the kids have their own space. Okay. Our adult groups will break off into rooms. And that's kind of, I don't want to say stereotypical, but what you would kind of imagine. So it's a bunch of adults. They're in the room. They can kind of talk about what they're going through with counselors that we provide, uh, all free of charge. And then the kids, it's a little bit different, right? So kids can do things like uh, one of the most impactful things that I saw was kids would get a paper plate and a bunch of markers and then the instructor would say just draw how you look on the outside and then on the other side of the plate draw how you feel on the inside interesting you know what are some of the things that you've seen when when they do that activity Uh, like uh the one that always stuck with me that was probably the most potent was a little boy drew a, a pretty good picture of himself on the front and then on the back what he felt on the inside he just colored the whole plate black whoa um you know and if this is your child and he's five years old and he's feeling that way and he can like externalize mm-hmm. that right or maybe he's not even showing any signs you know but this is an outlet for him that's not only creative but you know you can kind of see what they're going through internally um so the kids will do a bunch of stuff like that like we have one room called the volcano room where if a kid is just so frustrated that he's going to explode or she's going to explode they can go in there it's all full of gymnastics padding we have a punching bag in there and they can just let loose that is awesome right so they they can't do that at school they can't do that at home this right. is a safe space There's nowhere for them. where it's like socially acceptable to just yeah run yourself into walls and yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. and i feel like i could use a room like that exactly i was just gonna say like is there an adult version of that in, in the, the good grief home too we should we should look into that man but then yeah. we also do different things like right now we're experimenting with paint splatter therapy um that's a little above my intellect to talk about but the concept is we've got a plexiglass room kids put on smocks and they just whip paint around okay mm-hmm. um that's that's cool um so what's your ro- role in the organization So as a board member, uh, essentially what we do is we'll kind of review all of the annual strategic plans. We'll go over budgeting. We'll talk about different development strategies that we have, um, any kind of hiring that we're doing, and then also just getting the brand out there Okay. and obviously trying to bring funds in. Right. Um, So fundraising is definitely a big part, especially obviously since we're a nonprofit. And we want to just be able to do that not only with people of means that can do that, but also, you know, people my age in their mid-20s who might not be able to give as much but can probably give more frequently with time or just energy. Right. 
And uh, I know you said that there's like counselors that are available for these mm-hmm. people for free. Are these all people that volunteer their time, or do they get paid through you know your organization or through like through Good Grief? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. So we will hold uh, training sessions that are weekends long, and I believe we hold two every month and it's it's completely free so they're just totally donating all their time okay so that's on their own personal Mm -hmm. just something that they wanted to do yeah they're our facilitators all right let's talk about since we're on the the fundraising Mm -hmm. topic um how did you get involved with uh crossfit and starting this good grief uh workout of the day um and can you kind of talk about you know what was what gave you the idea to do it and also the symbolism behind the rep schemes and just talk about the workout and you just finish the workout. So maybe you could talk about how hard it is and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, once I graduated college, I was just kind of running on my own. I would go to the gym on my own, but, um, it, honestly it just became very boring, you know, waking up before work on a rainy Wednesday morning, going for like a six mile run alone gets old pretty fast. I would think so. Yeah. And so does going to the gym by yourself, man. And I didn't really know, I knew what I was taught in college, but that was so specific to track that when I would just try to do it to stay in shape, it was boring. Did you guys do like uh, a lot of lifting stuff on, with track or was it mostly just like go a run? A little bit, yeah. but that was more ancillary, you know, so we try to build up strength in specific areas of the body, right. um, but it wasn't like weight room sessions consistently. Okay. It was all just outside. Cool. But after that, uh, I moved to Dallas for work and my buddy was like, oh, you should try CrossFit. Never heard of it. And then I walked into the gym for the first time feeling like pretty confident because I had an incredible engine. And I remember doing uh, the Filthy 50 was the first workout that I ever did. That's a tough one to start off with. Oh, yeah. And I, and I definitely think the coaches knew that I was a little too, like, confident Cocky. going yeah, yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, no, man, I'll do it RX. No problem. And then uh, halfway through, I just remember sitting against the wall <laughs> with, like, a dazed look on my face. And I had to, like, stay after. They had to get me a Snickers bar to, like, make sure that I could your, drive home. Your, your blood sugar was uh, high enough. <laughs> oh, yeah. But ever since then, like, once you kicked my ass, I was addicted to it. Cool. Um, and I love CrossFit because, to me, it's, like – it's like exercise golf. Right. Like you're never going to be perfect at it. And there's always something you can keep you're working better, on. Yeah. And as an athlete, a former college athlete, when you're constantly working on getting better and then to transition into when you don't really have to do that anymore, mm-hmm. having, you know, a plethora of things to try to get better at in CrossFit, it's definitely helpful. And I, I, when I found CrossFit, it was kind of a, same kind of ideas, like the closest thing I could get to playing sports again. We'll get into that later. I want to talk about like your transition to life after sports. Cause mm-hmm. Sometimes it's like losing someone in your in your life. I, oh, yeah, man. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And I think also um, just kind of in the vein of this podcast, like CrossFit also really taught me about like not only working out but just how to upkeep your anatomy and also how to deal with injury. So when I used to get injured or when I used to like feel knee pain or ankle pain, low back pain, I could never really address it or figure out what it was, where it was stemming from. But CrossFit uh, and boxes like Gorilla Fitness and people like Kariana have taught me how to like diagnose my body. And kind of look at it from a more systematic way. Right. Where I can be like, oh, I'm getting knee pain. Maybe my quad's tight. Maybe there's something going on in my calf instead of just, oh, man, my knee's really pissing me off. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Um, I, let me refocus uh, on the, the workout. So what's the symbolism of the workout that we did today? And how did you come up with the idea? Um, and how do they receive it? Like, how do the other people at Good Grief receive it? Like, do they know what CrossFit is? Like, mm-hmm. how, how, is, how, is that, how did that all come, come about? So because it's a Marstown organization, uh, I've got a lot of affinity for Gorilla Fitness. They were really good to me as a member and then afterwards, too. Um, so I thought that'd be a great community to galvanize around this cause. Right. And with, with it being around kids, I think CrossFit is kind of also a way for adults to feel like kids again. So That's when, true, yeah. When Gym c- class for adults. Exactly. Yeah. So when Kariano and I were scheduling the workout, 
we wanted it to kind of be like not a playground per se, but we wanted there to be jumping. We wanted there to be burpees and stuff like that. Right. And the rep scheme, so the seven thrusters, seven burpees over the bar, seven box jumps. So that's the one out of seven statistic okay. of kids that will experience loss before they're 20. Um, and even in New Jersey alone, there's almost 300,000 kids that are under the age of 18 that have already lost a sibling or a parent. Wow, that's even crazier number. Yeah, no, it's nuts. So when I brought it to Good Grief as an idea, um, they, they thought about it very typically as CrossFit. They were like, oh, a bunch of maniacs throwing weight around. And, right. uh, you know, if you think that's going to be good and if they're going to think, like, you know, it's going to kind of support it from a Marstown communal perspective, then go for it. So they're very receptive. Awesome. Um, so can we, let's start talking about some coping strategies that you guys um, use to deal with. And then also maybe t- let's talk about, like, did you get involved with the organization or have, like, a feel more connected because you lost someone that or close to you that kind of made you, mm-hmm. like, if you struggle with that, that process? Yeah. So I'll adjust the first part or the last part first. Okay. kind of work backwards. So when I was uh, – I've been blessed enough that – my immediate family is intact. Okay. Uh, my dad's had a few scares here and there where he cut it pretty close, but he's still around. Um, but when I was in college, I was a sophomore. A friend of mine that I had grown up with at, uh, in high school ended up passing away when he was in Spain. He was on a trip for school. He was studying abroad there, and all of a sudden he had a brain aneurysm, and he died. Um, uh, AVM or whatever? I believe so. There's yeah. a, we had a kid on the podcast. Uh, he was a basketball player in like episode six, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, his name's Corey Weissman. And he had an AVN too, but he was lucky that he survived. Yeah. yeah. So that was my first instance uh, of someone in my peer group kind of just suddenly dying. And that to me was just a really shocking moment. Um, definitely kind of a life-changing moment for me because I had lost older family members, um, you know, I'd say 60 and above. But that's not as abrupt. When you see somebody who was a collegiate soccer player, right? you know, all of a sudden you hear that he was in Spain doing fine, he went to sleep, and then he died. Wow. Uh, it's It's just, it's kind of a you know, an, a real ice-breaking event for an introduction to, like, yeah, death is very abrupt. Right. And it is not, you know, no one's immune to it. Right. So, so that, what were the things that made you struggle with, with that uh, experience with death? Like, how, what feelings did you have and how did you kind of cope with those? And then also I had a question about, like you said, like, you have, like, an older people who might be sick and something you almost kind of expect them to pass mm-hmm. versus, like, your friend, for instance, where he went to sleep and he's a normal, healthy kid and then... Yeah. He doesn't wake up. So do you guys approach at Good Grief, um, you know, the differences in, like, how the death occurs? Like, if it's a sudden thing, do you notice that people struggle more or less than they do if they kind of expect it to happen? Mm-hmm. So, and, and I can only speak from my perspective. I've only been there for right. a, f- a few months now, but they've really given me a nice deep dive on everything. So one thing that we do right up front is we talk about death like death. So we don't say so-and-so has passed on okay? because they've, they've died. So we're very upfront. It's not in a abrasive way. Okay. But just coming to grips with the fact that, like, that person has died. They're dead, especially when you're dealing with kids because if you say, you know, oh, so-and-so has passed on, they may have no idea what you're talking about. You know, so they might be like, oh, passed on. That's cool. Are they coming back for dinner after that? Are they right, coming right. home on Monday? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you do have to kind of be very black and white. Okay. Um, that's one way that we kind of start to handle it. That reminds me of uh, the movie Scary Movie. Yeah. It's like, you know, your teacher, Miss Brenda, <laughs> she's dead. <laughs> Dude, it's kind of it's, it's kind it's of a little like harsher that. than I guess you guys probably put it. but <laughs> No, it is. But it, it's the idea of death is something that we're all going to have to deal with, right? Death is the opponent that nobody defeats. Right. And you don't know when it's going to show up. So kind of coming to grips with the fact that it's going to happen, it's a natural process, 
is one thing, but there is a subtle difference between families that may have lost someone to a very drawn out cancer. That's almost a kindness and a respect because if you do have someone that has a drawn out cancer, they have time to explain what's going on to their kids. Right. You know, they have time to try and get things in place. A car accident is not that way. Right. You know, that's a world changing event within a couple hours. So we will handle that a little differently, but I'd say the, the cornerstone of good grief in general is that there is no wrong way to grieve. Okay. So for instance, one thing that we tell, especially adults that are dealing with kids that are grieving to not say is, you know, Oh, I'm so sorry for you. I'm so sorry for your loss. Okay. Right? Because a lot of adults will talk at kids and not let kids express what they're feeling. Right. Um, especially if you, like, I had an instance where an uncle of mine passed away somewhat early. His son was 10. And a lot of the people at the, at the wake were saying, like, you're the man in the house now. Right. And they meant it in an endearing way. Right. But when you're a 10-year-old kid who's That's a lot father, to take on. Yeah. yeah. Whose father just died. And yeah. you're like, hold on, wait, now I'm doing all my dad's stuff? Yeah. It's super confusing, man. So we kind of let them go on their own path, but we do guide it in the sense that like, this is reality. You know, right. they've died, they're not coming back. And now here's how you can try and deal with that. Mm-hmm. And one thing that we do focus on with kids especially is if you can get them to deal with those emotions and learn to start addressing them early on, you can avoid things later on like substance abuse, suicidal ideation, right. depression, because if they never talk about it, it's going to bottle up and it's just going to become acidic inside of them. Right. That's interesting. I mean, when I think back to my first experience with death, it was with my uncle, who was all, he had melanoma, mm-hmm. and he died when he was 39, but he had my two cousins, my cousin, my one cousin was like 10, my other one was 12, so they were both really young and stuff, and like, he was sick for a while, um, but I remember I really struggled, and the thing that made me struggle the most was seeing my grandfather, Mm-hmm. because my grandfather, I've never seen him cry in my life until I saw that. Yeah. And, like, I still have that image in my head. And mm-hmm. I get, like, choked up just, like, thinking about it. And even when we're at, like, you know, church on Christmas and stuff like this, like, you know that he should be there. And it's yeah. it's tough to think about. And I can only imagine how, like, my cousins feel. Yeah. Um, but I don't know, you know, how they – I feel like when, now that I think about it, I don't know if we really ever talk about it, you know. Mm-hmm. So – they could have probably used good grief. Uh. Yeah, man. And, and the thing is, we deal with that a lot. And when I think about my friends who've lost some of their parents early on in life, I can only do so much from an empathy standpoint. You right. know? So all you can really do exactly, yeah. is just say like, hey, man, I'm here for you. You know, if you ever need if you ever need anything, even if you just want me to come over and not talk about it right. just so that I'm around, just know that I'm here for you. Because I can't really try and emphasize and, or empathize and say like, oh, I know what you're going through. Right. Because it's not true at all. Yeah. You know? So that's another thing we try and tell people to do is the best thing you can do is just be there for somebody. Okay. And just let them know. And yeah, that could be like an awkward thing sometimes. Like to like when someone dies suddenly, it's like, yeah, what the hell do you say to them? Oh know? my God, man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so you, you just let them know that you care about them. And whatever you, whatever they need, you're there. Right. Um, that's kind of one of the things that we'll teach not only kids but adults as well. All right. Um, a lot of people that listen to this podcast, or at least that I'm aiming to have listen to this podcast, are people like myself who had an injury. Where, like I didn't wake up that morning and think I was ever going to play football again. Yep. And then, you know, I'm told in the hospital that I'll never set foot on football field again. Yeah. And I kind of felt the same kind of way. You know, well, not that. I never lost a parent or anything like that, but I felt like a part of me was gone. Well, you lost a piece of your life. Yeah, I played football my for ten years of my life, and yeah. I, you know, I characterized myself as being a football player or mm-hmm. identified myself as being a football player, and really for a few years after that, I was like not in a good place for like mm-hmm. mentally and emotionally. 
like I would call my mom crying and at uh, school and stuff like that because you know the team that I used to play for was like doing well without me and I'm like yeah like I was happy for them but like I wanted like I thought wanted to be you know that kind of guy yeah. too well it's like you see a piece of your future going on without you right exactly yeah that's interesting um, so do you have any advice for like athletes dealing with um, like their transition to like life after sports and you seem like you've kind of become you're an athlete your whole life too and now you, you do crossfit was there any other things that you did that kind of helped you uh cope with not having sports anymore like a new outlet or is good grief your new yeah. outlet yeah. no so i think that's a great point man i've had friends too that were you know some of them were looking to go pro some of them were just going to be really good collegiate players um and they never got a shot because of injuries and it, it it's a loss man i mean it is there's no reason to categorize it as something else, especially when it's such a big part of who you are right. and your social groups there, your friends are there. Um, so that's definitely a huge thing to deal with. But I think one thing that worked for me really well was, I mean, there's a Robert Frost quote that I really like, and it says the only way out is through. So trying to not avoid a problem that you're dealing with, right? Okay. You just meet Don't it. Don't skate around yeah, it, right. You just meet it head on, man. So it's like the obstacle is the way. Right. And that's the way you got to go. And there's another quote for me that's more about death, but it can be the death of anything where like now is the envy of all the dead, right? So even as bad as things are, even if you're having like a terrible day, right? there's still people out there who, that, would, who yeah. would give anything, anything yeah. to have that terrible day. right? And it even works for people that haven't passed away, right? I mean, sometimes now I'll deal with what I call like the arrogance of health. So if I leave the gym and my knees bother me, my ankles bothering me, I'll be walking down the street to my apartment super pissed off. Right. Because it is like, if I don't feel physically well, it throws off my whole day. Right. But then I'll walk past someone in a wheelchair. Yeah. And it's like, and I reset. I'm like, all right, okay. Like this was a big part of, you know, if I can't work out, I do, you know, it's like a part of me is missing. Right. But it's, it's something that you can work to, towards, like, you know, if you can try and get back to it, that's great. But there's also, like, a lot going on in life that you can celebrate and kind of just look at the big picture. And right. I think for me, whether it was dealing with life after sports, kind of losing that drive and then luckily finding CrossFit, or just dealing with the loss of a friend, you know, I think trying to celebrate what you do have, we don't do that as often as we focus on what we don't. Right. Right? So I think that trying to look at the good aspects of life and then work towards whatever your new target is can be way better than just trying to deal with the depression of whatever your situation might right. be. One, one kid on that I had on the podcast, his name is Alex Short. Mm -hmm. He had a good quote. He was uh, born with um, a congenital amputation, I think. So, um, but, and he had this one quote that he said, uh, what is it? Perception is reality. Mm -hmm. So it's like, however you perceive your situation, like that's what it is. Yeah. So like exactly like you said, like, and even just doing this podcast, like I just had knee surgery a month ago and I can't do anything, but like, you know, there's, I interviewed a Marine who got his leg blown off in Afghanistan Yeah. and he's still going and working his ass off trying to make it to the Paralympics. So it's like, yeah, yeah. Man. You, yeah. I, I, I think that's a great way to put it too, because your, you know, your thoughts are your reality. Right. So, is, and I think like, look, if you are going to become a semi-professional athlete and then you suffer like a huge setback and you can't, there's going to be a grieving process. Right. I'm not saying like, it's not going to be hard. You're not going to go through depression, but I think it's really good to check yourself every now and then. Right. So like I go home every night to an apartment that has clean running water that's hot and cold. Right. And there's, you know, a hundred million people on the planet that can't say that. Yeah. But I don't think about it. 
I'm just washing my hands pissed off that my knees tweaked. Right. Um, you know, which is okay, but I think putting things in the larger context is always just really healthy. Right. And I think, like you said, that's a great story about that guy trying to make it to the Paralympics, right? Like, don't let your setbacks define your future. Right. Right? Just look at them as a new obstacle to overcome. Right. Because Go if, through them, right? Yeah, yeah. Just go through it, man. Yep. Like, you can't skirt around it. So if you just try and charge head on towards whatever your dilemma is, whatever that obstacle is. Right. You know, I think freedom is going to be on the other side. Yeah. Otherwise, you're never going to get around that wall. Right. Um, that also reminds me, and you're a football guy too, um, like when I was a running back and my mom's boyfriend actually like says this to me, like when I'm struggling, he's like, Kev, it's, you know, it's third and four. Like, what are you going to do? And like, everyone knows that you're getting the ball. It's like one of those things is like, you just got to freaking put your shoulder down and just freaking drive through yeah, it, man. you know, like. And that, to me, is, like, what mentally gets me, like, through it, like, puts things in perspective for me. Mm -hmm. And it's, like, you know, on the, you used to, like, prove that on the field. Now you need to prove that, like, when you don't have, you know, someone to run over or something like that. It's yeah. An, yeah. An obstacle to run over. And I think, I think that's a great way to phrase it, man. Like, you're going to deal with situations that are just like that, that could be analogous to sports. Right. And you're going to have to have that same determination and preparation and drive, right. right? But you're probably just not on the field. You might be in an office. Exactly, yeah. But it's that mental toughness that's going to get you through, right? right? And I think just having resiliency and always kind of being ready, like always the ready for something like that, mm -hmm. is going to serve you well in life, whether it's on the field or off. Right. Do you uh, practice like gratitude? Oh, yeah. So like, I recently got into meditation probably five months ago. Okay. Um, and... So I'll do, just do like 10 minutes of meditation in the morning. I use an app called Headspace. Oh, so do I. I just bought it. Oh, dude. Yeah. It's, it was a game changer for me, man. Yeah. I'm, you do it in the morning? Always in the morning. Yeah. See, I just started doing it in the app and like before I went to sleep and it's not good because I'm like falling asleep as I'm doing it. <laughs> like lulls I mean, you asleep. Sometimes if you can't sleep, that guy's voice will just knock you out. Yeah. But uh, Especially when he has those long pauses. Yeah. yeah. Where you're supposed to just like think about nothing. <laughs> That's when the Z's start coming. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty good. It's like Tylenol PM for your ears. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, for me, I'll, I'll do it in the morning and it just kind of sets the tone for my whole day. Okay. And I've had to deal with I always loved like physicality of sports, right? I'm 100% Irish, so I have a temper no oh, matter. Oh, William Mulcahy, you're not Irish? Yeah, yeah right, a nice <laughs> Italian boy. Um, so I, I always had that intensity about me, right. and sometimes it was hard for me to control that in like, you know, regular scenarios. Right, and you I just want to freaking rip someone's head off. Yeah, man, yeah. Or like, you know, yeah, sometimes you just, you just get pissed off. I'm riding the subway, and some dude like bumps into me and spills my coffee, and all of a sudden, like, I'm seeing red. You like, motherfucker. Yeah, right? Like, <laughs> I would love to see you on the field someday. Yeah. But, uh... But for me, meditation allows me to realize, like we were saying before, you control how you react to any situation. Right. So you can't always like control the external factors in your life, but you can control how you react to them. That's like one of my biggest like uh, slogans for this podcast. I always say that you can't control what happens to you, but you can always control how you respond. And actually, Mike Rice, um, the old basketball coach mm -hmm. at Rutgers. He used to throw basketball at kids, but yeah, he came well, in. Yeah, yeah, he was more of a dodgeball coach. Yeah. <laughs> he came into one of my sport management classes once, and just as like a guest speaker, and that was something that he said, and I never forgot that because I was like, that is so freaking true. Like, yeah. you really can't. Like, you have no control, like externally, what happens to you, but you are the one who can control. Like, if you're gonna freaking, you know, run through your obstacle or mm -hmm. try to like skate around it, right? Yeah, and I, I think it's also the way that I've heard it put is like, you can't control the ocean but you can learn to surve. Right, okay. So, I like, that. like, you're not going to be able to control all the external factors. So many analogies, yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. But, and I think it's good. Like, so, all right, so dude bumps me on the subway. Like, 
why get pissed? Why should I let that piss me off? Right. You know, it could screw up the whole morning, could screw up my whole day, or I can just be like, all right, well, that happened and now it's done. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Um, let's go back to your athletic career and like what kind of obstacles did you come uh, across like in running or in other sports and did you ever get injured and maybe mm -hmm. how you, you dealt with those injuries? Yeah. Uh, when I was playing lacrosse, um, I was never the biggest dude on the field, so I would try to make up. Did you play attack? Uh, I would play midi. Okay. Just because I always and you're running, dude. Yeah, dude. always so running. I was always running, but that also let me like hang hang out across the middle with dudes that are like yeah, four times my size. Get jacked up. So I had a couple. I had two concussions in uh, in high school. Um, one that kind of carried over into winter track, and it was. I remember I got one in the fall, and then I was doing winter track, and I actually just passed out running a relay race one day. And I had found out that I was kind of suffering from a concussion that was lingering, but I also had mono at the same time. That's a bad combo. It was a heavy winner. It was a heavy winner. <laughs> but um, but I couldn't run for, you know, I, I missed some really important races. So when you got the concussions, were you like diagnosed right away? Like, did you get knocked out or did you? I never, I was lucky enough to never black out, right. but I did go to a physician the next day and got diagnosed. Okay. Um, both both were mild, but I did, you know, I wasn't doing anything the day after. I kind of went right into a protocol, if you will. Okay. Uh, which was definitely the good thing to do. I didn't want to do that. Right. Because I was like, mm, you know, I got a headache, but. That's what I said, and I almost died, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go, man. Um, so I think it was, you know, it was a godsend to have my parents and also, like, a good physician to just be like, no, you're going to sit at home. Right. And do nothing for a while. But it was super frustrating. All right, kids out there, listen to Liam, not Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But it was, uh, it's definitely frustrating, man. I miss some important meets, especially when I was looking at going to college because you're kind of showcasing at that point. Um, and I, and my dad, you know, really kept my head in a good place. So he was like, look, you're going to get through this. Right. Like it's just, a, it, now it's terrible. Yes, you can't run right now, but why don't you stop focusing on the meets you're going to miss next week and start focusing on the meets you're going to make in three months. Right. Okay. So I think it's good. It's just kind of like putting perspective there. Um, and then in terms of injuries, um, I remember my junior year, I was training a lot for cross country and I got a stress fracture in my femur because we were putting in just a ton of miles. Right. And again, it was like, you know, you miss some important stuff, but I think, I think it's how you, it's how you get up, right? It's not how hard you fall. Right. That would really define you. Um, I think a lot of success is just, you know, I think one of the keys to success is just not quitting because mm -hmm. I think, uh, you know, a lot of people will tend to just throw the towel in. Right. And I think one of the best ways to succeed is just try one more time. Consistency. Yeah. Yep. So that's kind of what I did. I didn't, I was lucky enough to not have any huge injuries. I've never had surgery. I'm trying to find some wood to knock on here, but, uh, but yeah, you know, you kind of, you pick yourself up, you dust yourself off and then you just focus on something, you know, you're going to be at right. Instead of dwelling on what you just missed. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Um, that kind of reminds me of another question I want to ask, um, about a support system. Can you say your dad was a big help uh, for you, so at Good Grief, and you know, at, from a team perspective, mm -hmm. what is the the value of a support system when you're going through? Oh man, a, a loss. I, I think it's you know, yeah, whether it's a, a literal loss, um, right. you know, of, of a person or a loss of a game or whatever it might be. I I don't think I would be anywhere without my friends and family. Um, I've been blessed to have two parents that have always supported me, have always kind of been there for me no matter what. Um, my sisters too. I have two younger sisters, but they were more annoying at that point, but now they've become a good support system. But my friends as well, I've been blessed to have, uh, 10 friends essentially that we've been together since eighth grade and it's invaluable, man. I mean, people handle it differently. So for me, even when I was, when I was in college, I had an undiagnosed thyroid issue, okay. um, my sophomore year and it sent me into like a clinical depression and I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. Uh, I was adopted, so I had no family medical history, and I'd never felt depression before. And it was awful, man. I mean, it was it was like probably the lowest point of my life. 
And I couldn't figure out what was wrong, so we couldn't like medicate it somehow. And what I would do is I would just be so stoked to go home over the breaks just to hang out around my friends. Awesome. Because they were that, just, that, would, that would be what, what got you through it. Yeah, but they're just an amazing support system. And I never even talked to them about it, you know? Because it was, it, was, it was heavy. It was very personal. Right. But just being around them, you know, like fitting back right into where you were, is, uh, it's invaluable. Yeah, I've got a similar group of buddies. Not quite 10 friends that make me feel that way, <laughs> but I have a, a couple. My buddy uh, Evan and, and Josh are usually um, the guys who – are, are that support system for me. And dude, I find that like a lot of it's unspoken. So sometimes you're, at least from a guy perspective, right. your friends might know you're going through some stuff, but right. even just being around, like watching a game, playing. They'll make you laugh and yeah, stuff. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But I find now, like now that I'm a little bit older, just letting them know how much that means to me is important, man. Because, you know. Showing and, gratitude. Yeah. And not to sound morbid, but, you know, I want every, every one of them to know how important they are to me. Because if I never told them that and then something happened where I never got to say it, right. I would feel – And that's what always happens. Feel horrible. People yeah. wait until they're dead or like almost dead before they start saying like how great yeah. of a person they are. Exactly, or, yeah. man. So how think, much they're appreciated. Yeah. yeah, I think if there's one takeaway at least that I would like to see people do from this podcast, it's like if somebody is important to you in your life, just like – just tell them. Send them a text. Give them a call. Next time you see them, just let them know. And uh, you know, I think showing gratitude is, is very important, but it's something that we don't really do a lot. Right. Um, recently there was, um, a football player at Warren Hills high school who Mm -hmm. passed away in a a football game. And it just kind of made me think of how, you know, sports teams, I think you get so like tight knit and bonded because you go through like the difficult times together. Mm -hmm. It's almost like, not that I was in the military, but I could see like the camaraderie of like the military being similar to the camaraderie of like a sports team going through double sessions or whatever and going through like all these hard times. Yeah. So when you lose someone who's almost like a brother to you and when you still have to go out there and play that same sport, you know, the next week without them, like, how do you, do you have any ideas on like how to kind of cope with that? Cause I mean, unfortunately it's probably not as uncommon as not from a kid, you know, passing away or dying from an injury, um, you know, on the field, like that's an, an enough to like think about yeah. at, in its own right. But then, you know, just to, you know, for, for the person on that team, like for the team itself to come back and play without your, especially your quarterback, it's like, yeah, man. I mean, that's that's something that I haven't gone through, um, but I know a few friends that have lost teammates in high school and in college, um, and I think it just shows a lot of resiliency to be able to bounce back and do that, but I think what's important in a situation like that, at least to me, would be more so is doing it to celebrate who they were, right? right. And, and just because they're not there physically, I'm a firm believer that, I'm not, I'm not exactly a religious person, but I'm a firm believer that, like, you know, even if a person is gone, even if you're missing your teammate, they're still right there with you, right? Because right? you have those memories. You can kind of think what they would be doing in a certain situation. And I would want to try and celebrate that, okay. right? And also just think about the fact that, like, you know, say you lost a teammate and their parents are still in the stands, which is extremely hard for them as yeah, well. Yeah, I can only imagine, yeah. You know, play for them because they want to see you guys succeed. Right. Even if you lose, it doesn't matter. They just want to see you carrying on with your lives, right. right? Because now, whether you're the parent of that child or whether you're one of the teammates, I think you would do them a disservice to, to not carry on, you know? So I think if you want to kind of honor the memory of a friend or a teammate, the best thing you can do is, is give everything you have on the field and off, man. So don't take any day for granted. You know, leave it all out there because some people do not have like, you know, they don't have any days left or they have a very limited number. So don't take don't take time, don't take life or any days for granted and just kind of always keep that in the forefront of your mind. Has um, working with good grief 
kind of change your perspective of the world? Like how you like do you take things not as seriously kind of thing? Like Oh man. Do you get yeah. all work? I mean, I know you're into like the meditation and the, the gratitude thing, which makes me think that you might be in the similar type mindset. Cause mm-hmm. I mean, with my injury, I was told that I had a 50% chance to make it through the night. And most of the kids who have my injury either don't live or they're mentally handicapped the rest of their life. So it's almost like to me, when I get frustrated at work or something like that, it's like, why am I getting frustrated about this? Yeah. It's like in the big scheme of things, like who cares? Like no one's dying. At yep. work, you know, if, for things that people are getting all worked up about. It's like, just relax, you know? Like, yeah. Do you uh, have a similar kind of outlook? I totally agree, man. I couldn't agree more. Um, and I think that just having kind of like a mindfulness practice and an appreciation practice has given me that, but good grief, like tenfold. Because even when we have board meetings, right, we have to get in an uh, initiation session where we learn about the organization and everything. And you're essentially there for three hours talking about death in very black and white terms. And it's... You know, you start thinking about your own mortality. You start thinking about people around you. Right. And it, it, it just puts things into perspective, right. you know? It's like, yeah, I could die tomorrow. And, like, I'm getting all worked up about this thing at work. Yeah. And, like, who cares? <laughs> or it's also, like, you know, it's also if you think about that, like, just kind of living every day to the fullest, even though it's such, like, a platitude and a cliche. Right. Yeah, yeah, It's so true, man. You know, so it's like <laughs> I was talking to my friend about this the other day when he was, like, he didn't want to go ask a girl out. And I was like, dude, this is like, this is nothing. This, like, what's right. the worst that can happen? She you know? doesn't talk like, to you ever again. Yeah, yeah. exactly. She doesn't talk to you. She now. doesn't say anything, and you walk back here, and we laugh it off. Like, so I think it's really kind of just putting things into perspective with what's a really serious event, right? And what's something that's like, you know, you're just making it serious between your ears, right? That's awesome. Um, I know I've taken a lot of your time here, um, but let's finish off with yeah, this uh, is great, man. what your uh, definition of perseverance is. I do that on. I started doing the the beginning when I first started the podcast, and I kind of fell off the bandwagon. But now I'm bringing it back. Okay. Um, so, what's your like personal definition of perseverance? Hmm, my definition of perseverance. So, I would say, I'm trying to think about it from a sports and a life perspective, I think perseverance is. I think a lot of it is proving something to yourself. Um, I think, you know, I think having naysayers can always be a good way to stoke your fire. But I think if you have like, even if you've had a setback. If you think, you know, I'm going to shoot for the highest peak that I can, right? So um, maybe I've, you know, maybe I have lost my legs or lost a limb or something. I'm going to do something that people think I can't or I'm going to do something that I think, think I, I can't, can, right? You know, and I think it's it's proving yourself wrong um, or just trying to live up to the fullest idea of what you want yourself to be. So it's like, no matter, even if you're dealing with setbacks, set a picture of the future that you want to attain and then just do everything you can to go get it. But I also think perseverance you know, if you miss that goal, I think if you can look back and say, did you give it everything you had? Right. You know, did you give it a hundred percent? If the answer is yes, then what more can you do? Right. You know, that could dude, that could be for a test. That could be for trying to like climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Yeah. But if you can, if at the end of the day, you can put your head on the pillow and say like, I gave it everything I had, then you've won. Right. You know, what more can you ask of yourself, win or lose? What do you see your life uh, in the future as far as like goal setting? <laughs> um, I guess after talking about all this, not the I know I did. Yeah, well, I guess after my presidential run during the next election, when I defeat Kanye in the open primary, oh, okay. <laughs> um, I, I think I think for me, man, like my goal in life is to just. It's weird to think about now, but I mean, I want to be successful. Uh, I'd want to be a really good dad. Um, that's like a big thing for me, and okay. it's also strange to even start thinking about that at right. twenty six. But um, I think I just want to be able to give. Why that. is that? Because you were adopted, or. 
No, I think that's a big part of it. Um, I think starting my own family is it's a it's a heavy thing for me, you know, okay, because yeah. I'm kind of starting my own lineage, right? Um, and it's just like you know, it's going to be my kids, and I'll probably end up adopting kids. But I think for me, it's like I want to be able to say at the end of the day that like you know, I did, I left it all out there, right? Uh, I went 110 miles an hour for as long as I could, and then I gave back more than I got. Awesome. So I think if you can make, you know, if you can make one person's life easier then you've done your job here on the planet. Awesome. So I think it's a lot about just kind of giving back and then kind of a paradoxical way you're going to receive more than you give. Right. Um, because, you know, you, you come into this world with nothing and you leave with nothing, man. So right. you might as well try and help some people out along the way and have some fun while you're at it. That's a, I, I love that mindset. It's awesome. <laughs> uh, thank you very much, Liam, for coming on the, course, the show man. today and for everything that you do at Good Grief. And I think athletes and non-athletes alike will get a ton out of this episode yeah thanks man um, i really appreciate it can you uh you want to plug um any like social media stuff or websites at good grief yeah and, for like, sure so um, if you just go uh, if you go on the web it's just um www.goodgrief.com uh that'll take you to all, all of our social pages facebook instagram and stuff like that and uh, there's videos on there that shows what the program does there's resources for both parents and kids okay. um and there's also the you know the option to donate on the page as well awesome i'll link all that up in the show notes cool and um i'd love to have you on again i feel like we could talk for like forever yeah we absolutely man. yeah and we know uh, our buddy uh anthony kakuza big tone yeah big tone <laughs> um well we'll send him this episode so you can listen to it yeah all right man. all right I thanks appreciate If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with all your 1,500 Facebook friends that you have no idea who they are. And also, all episodes are available for download on iTunes and Stitcher, so please make sure that you subscribe um, to the Heads and Tails podcast and also leave us a five-star review to help us spread our message further and further every week. Um, for detailed show notes, go over to headsandtails.org backslash podcast. And the best way to stay up to date with Heads and Tails activities is by following us on Instagram at Heads and Tails. Heads is in your head, the letter N, and Tails spelled T-A-L-E-S. Uh, same thing on Twitter, just add a little P-O-D on the end of that handle, and on Facebook. And please tag us on any motivational stories you come across for future episodes. And just like flipping a coin, you can't always control outcomes in life, but you can always control how you respond. And as the great Jay-Z once said, if you're walking with a limp, go and brush your shoulder off or uh, something like that.